0: board bombs Now here's Doctors Iltafat Hussein and Blake Briggs
1: Welcome back to another EM Board Bombs podcast where board settings a little bit more enjoyable. I am Miltapathus Hane joined by Dr. Blake Briggs. Truly a pleasure. Uh, always, always. We're back in the studio. I'm excited. So for each time, 15 minute episode, you get high yield board knowledge. Uh, we like to stay comfortable STEM, stay for the content. Sign up for our um, newsletter. You can access it on our website, EMBoardBombs.com. Hit us up on Twitter. Our handle is at EMBoardBombs. Uh, We also have an Instagram handle. Uh, No, we we do not. We're working on that. We have someone, (laughs) right, working on that. Hey, Dr. Briggs, you ready for the topic? Let's do this. Let's do it. All right, so let's jump right in. So you got a 40-year-old avid ice fisherman from Minnesota. He's been very upset by how warm the winter has been this year because the lakes haven't frozen over, and he hasn't been able to ice fish. After a week-long cold spell, he decided, you know what? It's probably safe to go out on the ice now. (laughs) Just one week. Just one week. He (laughs) couldn't have been more wrong. After getting about 10 feet (laughs) Out on the lake, he fell through. He was in the water for about five minutes before he was able to pull himself out and walk back to his car. Someone saw this happen and called paramedics who arrived and noticed that the man was slurring his speech when it was slightly confused. His temperature at the time was 30 degrees Celsius, uh, 91.4 degrees Fahrenheit, and his heart rate was 29. He was transported to the ED where he continues to exhibit lethargy and shivering which of the following is true a pacing is indicated for this patient b elevation of the j point is prognostic for mortality c hypothermia causes shortened qt intervals on ekg d in severe hypothermia extremities should be rewarmed first because they aren't as well perfused as the trunk e allow up to one minute for pulse check before defibrillation a what's the answer blake all right.
0: Answer here is gonna be kinda of surprising, but it's gonna be allowing up to one minute for pulse check before defibrillation. That's the last choice. Choice Ooh. E.
1: Oh, daring, uh, huh? Daring. Daring I think Bold some, some people might have jumped the gun and just picked A. Pacing is indicated on this patient with Not an R 8 of twenty nine, huh? All right, well, we'll go into this. All right,
0: here we go. So let's talk about this. You want to start off the day with something really relevant to your field in emergency medicine? Let's talk about um, convective and conductive heat loss. And we
1: promise all our (laughs) listeners this is the most boring part. The next 30 seconds are the most boring part of it, and then we get a little bit more exciting.
0: I'll tell you, the only thing you have to know here are these two words. So the two uninteresting things of the day are going to be of heat loss, convective heat loss to cold air, and conductive heat loss to water— are the most common mechanisms that, that people get accidental hypothermia. And of course, we are to be focusing on the people that are unfortunately going to be at high risk for hypothermia. These are, of course, elderly patients and your lower economic status patients. These are homeless patients, unfortunately. So the physiologic response, this is important because this literally is going to frame how patients look on the physical exam and how cold they are. So remember that thing called the hypothalamus? Yes. Somewhere yes. in the abdomen, I heard. So... <laughs> Especially in the brain. We got to make sure people. Are... <laughs> we got to make sure some students listen. Like, oh, okay, jotting that down for step one.
1: <laughs> That'd be
0: bad. And the hypothalamus, you know, does a lot of important things. Um, classic EM response. But um, <laughs> but in general, it also coordinates the sympathetic nervous system. In particular, it controls the thermal regulations, which is going to increase metabolism, ventilation, and cardiac output. So these are catabolic exercises wasting energy, right? And we're supposed to be doing this just to increase heat in the body. And the problem is this is a pretty good response for most people. So when we get cold, you know, we have these responses occur. Less than 32 degrees Celsius, however, this protective response is is runs out, you know, it runs out of its reserve. And then the patient will start to exhibit the opposite symptoms, which are of course bradycardia, decreased cardiac output, poor ventilation, poor metabolism, everything just kind of drops off the cliff. It's almost like that, you know, like everything in the body, we have that homeostatic range. And once okay. you're out of it, you just decline completely. And so let's go into this. Uh, when you're measuring patients' temperatures, what's yep. the best place to measure the temperature?
1: The bottom, wait, no, it's the nope, esophageal it's probe. Yeah,
0: The best temperature on the test is going to be esophageal probe. They give you this and they say, hey, we're rewarming this patient. We're going to get the most accurate temperature. Because remember, the esophagus, remember the anatomy, it borders the left atrium. So it's going to be the most central temperature measurement. All right. So let's talk about are three types of hypothermia you're going to see on the test and in real life. We divide hypothermia up into mild, moderate, and severe. So far, so good. Here's the temperature. They're going to give you this range. Okay. So in mild, the range is from 35 Celsius to 32 Celsius. In moderate, it'll be 32 Celsius to 28 Celsius. And severe is anything less than 28. So let's talk about the findings you would see. Dr. Usain, remember we talked about how the sympathetic nervous system is active in what part? The mild hypothermia, right? And so right. these patients are going to appear mostly altered, kind of mental status. They'll be confused. They'll have slurred speech. They'll be ataxic if they can walk. And then,
1: cardiovascular wise, what do you think they're going to be? So it's going to be, you know, still be tachycardia and hypertension, right? Mm-hmm. Because the body's still trying to compensate here. And the way I remember these categories, too, would be more towards those vital signs, right? So as we go through these sections, just remember those vital signs because that's going to really indicate a lot. Yeah, absolutely. So you're going to be
0: tachycardic hypertensive, and then, of course, you still have your stress responses, and so they'll be shivering. And then hematology-wise, through this entire topic today, whenever on the test they say are they more likely to bleed or less likely, these people are pro-coagulant the entire time. So pro-coagulant physiology. Moderate range. Again, 32 degrees Celsius to 28 degrees Celsius. So these people are going to be lethargic. Now they're not talking to you at all either having hallucinations or they're just completely out of it. This is the part where the sympathetic nervous system has failed. You'll now be bradycardic from now on, hypotensive. And this is when you start seeing the bradyarrhythmias. You'll see AFib and other various weird bradyarrhythmias, possibly heart block and other things.
1: Musculoskeletal, they won't be shivering anymore, right? They're going to have this rigidity. So along with this moderate uh, stage that we're talking about, um, and then we're going to get into severe here in a second. Again, remember that the cardiovascular signs, the stem choice, oftentimes they're giving you the vital signs. The easiest way for you to categorize this, again, is look at the vital signs, Yeah. Uh, intermoderate versus severe as well. Um, and that will oftentimes then correlate with neuro and then what we're going to talk about in terms of uh, treatment also.
0: Absolutely. Um, severe, let's finish up here, is going to be 28 and below. And these people are going to be obviously in a coma. Yeah they will either have no pulse or they are so bradycardic, you need to check, remember, up to a minute. Up and that was the correct answer. Yeah. So you should not be starting ACLS. This is the one time where you <laughs> don't rush to start ACLS. These people probably have perfusing beats, but their heart may be beating like 10, 10, <laughs> 10 times minute. Wow. Wow. So these people are at high risk for asystole, you know, V-fib arrest. They're not going to really prefer one or the other on the test. Right. And they'll exhibit signs of pulmonary edema because the heart is just so slow at pumping and blood builds up. Right. And then of course they're gonna have this pseudo kind of rigor mortis. They just look, they look dead. They're twenty eight degrees Celsius, yeah. so they look dead. But these people can be uh, revived, and we'll get into the um, treatment right now. You know, one important note I just want to say here too is that everything we're talking about is extremely consistent. Which means in real life and on boards, this is extremely relevant. And there's no like, this is the board answer, but here's the real life answer. Meaning that if you have a patient come in and they're like 32 degrees Celsius, which means they're borderline mild, moderate, but they're already comatose and they're in VF, that's not hypothermia. That's something that's completely different. (laughs) You just missed it. So remember that a significant discrepancy (laughs) in these symptoms, like what if you're, um, again, 34 degrees Celsius, mild, but you have rigor mortis kind of symptoms and you're stiffening and that sort of thing that's very concerning for other issues like spinal pathology and um so on and so forth trauma of various sorts or drug drug induced issues so just keep in mind don't get bottled down just because you look at the temperature and say oh well that's because they're hypothermic well they shouldn't be in a coma at 34 degrees celsius so (laughs) you clearly have missed something so keep that in mind here that could be a that's a a real life pearl right there
1: Real Girl life pearls. All right. Hashtag real life. Um, so when it comes to actual treatment here, let's get into that, Blake, right? Mm-hmm. So, and this is these next three things that Blake are go- is going to tell you are absolutely critical uh, for boards because you need to know, again, how to rewarm these patients.
0: Yeah, because, you know, either a too aggressive format or less aggressive format is associated with morbidity and mortality. You have to yep. get it right. So let's talk about mild. These are going to be passive external rewarming. You're going to remove their clothing. You're going to cover them in warm blankets, and you're going to insulate them completely. This is going to be the solution here for mild. Straightforward. Let's move on to moderate. So moderate, again, there's our definition of 32 to 28 Celsius. These people are going to obviously need the active external rewarming. You know, you're going to warm blankets, warm bath,
1: warm, humidified air. And you're doing the core, right? So you're warming the core before the extremities to avoid the core body temperature, you know, after drop.
0: Yeah, and this is, this could, this is one of the tests— um answers here and you know boards they just love the whole
1: afterdrop thing
0: because it's something so easily testable
1: the steps right they want they'll get you on these small steps you can't go too fast first what is the next step right right
0: yeah and so make sure that when you're heating these people up the moderate category you are warming up their body leaving their arms and legs out in the cold of the ed so you're gonna heat up the core it's all about the core you're going to be doing warm iv fluids And the goal rate here is about 2 degrees Celsius per hour. And, you know, if you do have this afterdrop, the consequences are pretty severe. When, you know, think about it. If you're warming up the cold, you're going to have a vasoconstrictive process where cold acidemic blood in the extremities is shunted back to the heart. Not good. Because you have all that cold blood out there. You start heating it. It vasodilates, and you shoot all that cold blood right back to the heart. You're going to trigger a possible arrhythmia and worsening hypotension. Bad, bad, bad. Don't do that. Let's finish up here in the severe category, 28 below Celsius these people are going to need almost heroic measures. Um, You're going to start, of course, with everything we just said, warming the core externally, and then IV fluids warmed. And then you're going to be talking about peritoneal and pleural irrigation, possibly with warm crystalloids. Um, And then, you know, this is getting a much detailed discussion that's not going to be on the test, but you're going to be talking about ECMO.
1: And I think the next thing, you're going to talk about EKG, right? So some of these key EKG changes, which are inevitably, I'm telling you, this is going to be one or two questions that you're going to get uh, on the board. We're going to talk about some of those dreaded Osborne waves here.
0: So the EKG changes in hypothermia, you're going to have prolongation of all EKG intervals. And that's due to the slow potassium conduction that happens. So the R to R interval, the PR interval, the QRS, the QT, every one of those is going to be prolonged. With this, this is the one people know more is going to be this classic J-point elevation, which is called an Osborne wave, a classic massive upstroke of the J-point, yeah. which is the Osborne wave. And there are two big myths about the Osborne wave. One, that it's specific for hypothermia, which is not true. Osborne waves can be seen in many other conditions. Two of the big ones are going to be any brain injury of any type and hypercalcemia. Those are two classic things Osborne waves are seen with. The height of the J-wave is actually proportional to the g- degree of hypothermia, and you see the Osborne waves most prominently in the the anterior leads, V2 through uh, V5. However, they're not specific, again, for hypothermia, and the most importantly, one of the answer choices, they are not prognostic. J-waves are not prognostic. And that was one of the answer choices that was incorrect. So let's move on to the uh, workup here. Dr. is going to go through the the next few points here.
1: Yeah. So when it comes to actual workup, you know, you're obviously checking um, their blood sugar, you're getting that EKG, you're getting basic labs. CK is another thing because a lot of these folks have been out there for a while. They might develop rhabdo, and they might have been outside on the ground or in the cement uh, for a long period of time. Uh, Some of those uh, lab abnormalities that you're going to be seeing, uh, you know, pretty obvious ones, you're gonna be seeing a metabolic acidosis. We talked about what happens when that cardiac output uh, goes away. Um, and you could also see respiratory alkalosis, again, just depending on where they are on the curve, how their body was compensating, and as we talked about uh, from a coagulopathy standpoint, right, um, their coags are going to be increased and not functioning the way they should. Uh, For hemoglobin, so heme concentration is expected. Uh, This is something I actually did not know before. So hemoglobin rises 2% for each 1 degree Celsius drop, So re-warming requires a lot, a lot of monitoring, right? Um, You're getting, you have them obviously hooked up to telemetry. um, And it can drastically change electrolytes, blood counts uh, as well. So you should be getting frequent labs on these patients. Uh, pulse ox is already hard to get. I feel uh, half the time, <laughs> right? Um, and now you're looking at it potentially lagging behind several seconds to minutes. So really, uh, pulse ox isn't going to be your best indicator for ventilation. You should be considering, you know, getting blood gases on these folks and really just seeing how they're ventilating. Um, and again, arrhythmias can persist until the patient is rewarmed. That's really important to understand because you know, we talked about how these patients can become really Brady, and we talked about this in the answer uh, choice as well. Just because someone is Brady doesn't necessarily mean you need to start giving them atropine, and you need to start um, pacing them. Um, you should ignore atrial arrhythmias with slow ventricular response. Do not pace those patients in particular.
0: Pacing is going to be, one, not going to help you, and two, that whole thing about don't really move the patient, don't really right. disturb them because you could cause an arrhythmia. It's actually been shown to be probably less true of that, but on boards, they love that. Right. So don't jostle the patient as much. And jostling the patient probably doesn't mean throwing down a transvenous pacer into their <laughs> right atrium and jiggling that around in between the ventricles.
1: <laughs> Inducing those arrhythmias, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly
0: right. So shouldn't be doing that. So anyway, and severely hypothermic patients,
1: they may develop b The priority needs to be
0: rewarming here
1: let me summarize that real quick at least in terms of those treatment methods for mild moderate and severe so mild 32 to 35 degrees celsius that's where again remember hypothalamus is still somewhat functioning your body is responding with tachycardia hypertension you're shivering as well um, and the treatment for that is passive external rewarming a goal around one Celsius per hour, remove the clothing, a cover in blankets, insulate. Moderate is that 28 to 32 degrees Celsius. This is where you're seeing some of those significant neurosymptoms with uh, lethargy, hallucinations, the patient might even be unconscious. But remember from a cardiovascular standpoint, you're looking at bradycardia hypotension, AFib, other brady dysrhythmias. So this is where you're doing the warm baths, the warm humidified air. Um you're still doing active external rewarming, but no IV fluids yet. Again, the step one is core as opposed to extremities. Severe 28 degrees and below. So these are the patients that are coming in, they're in a coma, uh cardiovascular, I mean they're potentially in V fib, asystole, and active internal rewarming. So this is where you're doing warm IV crystalloid fluid. Um, you're considering ECMO if that's an option. Uh, You're being very aggressive with your resuscitation here for that patient.
0: Alright, I think that was an excellent summary here. You want to go ahead and send us out? Yeah,
1: that's pretty much it. So, we told you what you need to know. This is a topic you will most definitely see. You'll probably see at least three to four questions on your boards uh, related to this topic alone. It's a good topic to know just in general. Um, As we take this out, we want to give a shout out to Ikram Ayurfanullah. He's one of our fourth year med students. He's currently applying to EM Residence. He actually helped us out uh, with this board bomb. So, appreciate the help, Ikram. Remember to sign up on our website, EM boardbombs.com. Get on our newsletter. We do like to send out ancillary and just extra material as well to our listeners and our readers. Make sure to follow us on iTunes and the podcast app. So download that podcast app if you haven't already and subscribe to us. Drop us a review there. We really appreciate it. We'll also use those reviews you drop us to improve the pod and we use that as a way for you to tell us key topics that you want us to mention and talk about you can follow us on emboardbombs.com on twitter and you can also reach out to us there if you if there are any particular topics you like if you're interested in em yeah and boards and boards but not so
0: much bombs no. <laughs> it's coming off yeah see you later <laughs> see you.